Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. The 2022 49ers are NFC West champions, and they clinch again in Seattle. And I think at this point you could call it a former house of horrors because now the 49ers have clinched there twice in the past four seasons, right? 2019 they did it, 2020 and 2021 the 49ers did not win the West, but here in 2022 they have and uh they are turning seattle into a a friendly place it's it's crazy to say right now but yesterday matt 49ers controlled this game from start to finish i mean we knew the 49ers were significantly better than the seahawks we we all saw the game in week two and uh the 49ers are better than they were in week two and and the seahawks that they might be better too but uh i think the 49ers have added more since then his name is christian mccaffrey and um, the same dynamics played out yesterday, except Seattle got some of their, we could call it luck. They got some of their home field luck in this game. I, I think it would have been a 30-plus point game had that personal foul not been called against Nick Bosa. Maybe by the letter of the law, it was the right call. But I think the main point is that the 49ers have won seven in a row. They are a juggernaut right now. They're playing excellent football in all three phases of the game. And it was good enough to relatively easily overcome some stuff that went against them on the road in Seattle, which is definitely not something you can say about so many 49ers teams of years past. And now at 10-4, and the 49ers can set their eyes on, on bigger and better prizes. Yeah, and it wasn't just the, the Bosa roughing penalty that took points and opportunities off the board. Uh, Drake Greenlaw dropped a, an interception opportunity early on, and then Talano Hufanga did the same in the in the second quarter. And then Hufanga had that really nice blitz. I think it was in the first quarter and knocked the ball free from Geno Smith, and the ball's bouncing around, and uh, and, and the, the, the Seahawks pounce on it. Um so, I mean, I, I think the bottom line there is that they're creating all sorts of opportunities. They didn't seize on all of them. But uh, in the end, it was still a, a fairly comfortable win. And, and, and you're right. I mean, uh, the, uh, the imagery, I mean, 10 years ago, it used to be that the, uh, the Seahawks, especially the, the Seahawks defensive backs, would just beat up on the 49ers. Um, big injuries. Uh, Mario Manningham got injured. Uh, Sherman used to just uh, uh, really get up for the uh, the Michael Crabtree encounters, and he's got a, a really good reason why he used to get so uh, animated for those. And I remember Cam Chancellor one year, you probably remember it, David, just absolutely blasted Vernon Davis into kingdom come. Um, in this game, it was the 49ers who were sort of beaten up, roughing up the uh, the Seahawks. And the, the DK Metcalf battles, I think, uh, were paramount in that. And Charverius Ward, I think, absolutely won that battle. And uh, some of the other guys did well against him 
also. So, um, yeah, the uh, I, I think the demons have been mostly exercised. I think the 49ers are the ones that are the aggressors now. And, um, you know, I thought that was really encapsulated with, uh, with Dre Greenlaw, a guy who sometimes goes a little bit beyond... <laughs> Beyond the line, and, and he uh, and he pays the price. This time he he towed the line, and um, he played really well. Great energy, and he even kind of uh, goaded DK Metcalf into a big 15-yard taunting penalty early in this game. So um, really hats off to that group. Those linebackers uh, set the tone. Tone setting is is the way to put it, Matt. I talked to Trent Williams after the game in the locker room. And, you know, when the 49ers started this run, you go back to the Kansas City game, obviously, on October 23rd. Got their behinds kicked by the Chiefs. And uh, they were 3-4 and four at the time. They've won seven straight games since then. And the first win in that stretch was against the Rams. And... I still remember going into the locker room at SoFi Stadium after and, you know, talking with Trent Williams about how the 49ers turned it around. And he was just like complimentary football. Like It was just it was it's almost like a religion to the 49ers in their locker room. They, they just talk about complimentary football all day long. And I mean, you could see why when when you see the final result of it. Right. When, when all three phases are humming. Uh, they, they can do stuff like what they've done over the past seven weeks, and that's go on this NFL-long tear, right, over these past seven weeks. 7-0, uh, and 0, the efficiency ratings are far and above number two in the NFL. But I followed up with Trent Williams on that yesterday in the locker room. He had his T-shirt on, uh, the NFC West Celebratory Championship T-shirt, Conquered the West, it said. And, uh, you know, I, I said, hey, you know, seven weeks ago we talked about complimentary football, and the 49ers defense has gone so far and beyond what the actual expectation and demand from it was that Trent Williams said, it's actually hard to play complimentary football because the defense overachieves so much. It's like the offense doesn't even get a rest anymore because there's so many three and outs. Like, you know, I mean, talk about an amazing luxury to have if you're the 49ers. They are struggling to play complimentary football, not because there are deficiencies to this team, but because their defense is so good. That's the point that, that Trent Williams was making, that the defense overachieves so much that the offense you know, struggles to not pale in comparison. And it's obviously the biggest first world problem you could have, you know, so to speak. It is an embarrassment of riches now for the 49ers on that defensive side between Bosa, Armstead, Greenlaw, Warner. I mean, you have debates uh, in the linebacking crew now. Like, is, is Dre Greenlaw one of the better, one of the best, best players in football? Let's put it that way, because I mean, he's he's going toe to toe with Warner now. And then you have the secondary with Charvarius Ward and Jimmy Ward playing a lights out nickelback position. To me, it's just phenomenal how much firepower the 49ers have and how thoroughly that defense is setting the tone that it's it's stealing the show from a complimentary effort that is truly impressive reaching out to the offensive and special teams levels on top of that and the historical comparison for something like that is the 85 bears the 85 bears had the number one defense and everybody always thinks that their offense you know what was just a bunch of chumps but the 85 bears had a top five offense to go with that number one defense and i think the 49ers if they can keep this up are on a reminiscent path of that and that this defense is far and away the number one unit but it's almost overshadowing awesome contributions from the offense and we got to talk about brock purdy right and the special teams yesterday as well yeah and the, the that week eight game against the rams is interesting because that was the other game that, that Debo Samuel didn't play in, and I don't think uh, Juwan Jennings played in that game as well. 
and uh, you know the big uh, hand wringing going into that is oh what do they do without Debo Samuel he was there everything uh, to them last year. How are they going to cope? Well, they blew the the Rams out um, in that uh, game, and they were fine on offense. I mean, it wasn't uh, a spectacular showing. I think Brock Purdy's injury probably had a lot to do with that. Um, and, and Christian McCaffrey uh, absolutely kind of stepped up the game, and they, they leaned heavily on him, but they were throwing the ball to Juwan Jennings on critical third downs. Ray Ray McLeod actually had... Three uh, first downs in this game. Two of them were called back from, by penalties. But uh, your point's well taken. Last year, this team was Debo. <laughs> he was he was the heart, the soul, the everything of uh, of the entire squad, uh, especially the offense. This year, they can spread it around. I mean, it doesn't have to fall onto one guy. You can you can even miss Debo Samuel and Juwan Jennings in a game, and the 49ers are going to be. Okay, they're not going to be at full strength, uh, but they're going to be fine. So I, I thought that was, uh, uh, you know, uh, very uh, telling that they were able to go into this hostile location with an injured rookie quarterback with the division title on the line without Debo Samuel. And uh, like I said, still come out with a fairly comfortable win. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at Ray Ray McLeod as a good illustration of how much deeper the 49ers are than last year. Remember in the playoffs, they had to have Debo returning kicks and being their featured running back. Well, obviously they don't need him to do the running back anymore with McCaffrey. And I'll talk about Jordan Mason in a second, because he's also very symbolic of this, this robust roster. But, but Ray Ray McLeod, you know, obviously he's taken on that returner role and he does a really good job at it, but he also filled in directly for Debo Samuel yesterday. And he did so in, really positive fashion right there was that third and long caught the, the the short screen pass didn't really have much of a benefit of a block but just outraced seattle due to the spacing that the 49ers set up to the pylon that picked up a big first down i mean the 49ers didn't have that luxury last year this year they're just like oozing with with these skill position weapons to where ray ray mcleod would be a, you know maybe not a featured piece on on most other teams but definitely uh, much more featured than he is with the 49ers. Ray Ray McLeod is just this this quality depth that underscores, especially when you compare to 2021, uh, how far this 49ers roster has come. And that leads me to the closing moment. Jordan Mason, Christian McCaffrey called him Mariano Rivera. There's a little bit of a debate in the 49ers locker room about whether Mason should be nicknamed the closer or the finisher. Mason <laughs> likes the finisher better than the closer. But to me, it was just like baseball. The, the last three outs are going to be toughest to, to, to peg down, right? And the Seahawks, that funny business started there toward then. They pull within eight, and Kyle Shanahan walks out to the mound, taps his right arm. Jordan Mason comes in from the bullpen, and he's throwing gas. And the Seahawks aren't ready for gas, and Trent Williams is laughing about it. He said, yeah. Seahawks, they started taking some creative angles because they didn't want to. <laughs> they'd seen the tape. They were tired. They didn't want to take a 224-pound bruise in that cold weather at the end of the game. And that's like that's an electric way to finish a game. And remember last year, the 49ers were so depleted in the running back room. They just had to desperately, essentially, you know, just plug Debo Samuel in there to get the production they needed. This year, they have the luxury of bringing in fresh 224-pound legs to close a game baseball style. 
Um, you don't see that very often with a 46 or 48 man roster in the NFL. You don't see that ability, but that's what they did yesterday. And, you know, as expected, that was one of the most electric moments of the game when your rookie running back rips off a 55 yard run to seal the division. Uh, th- that's one that you're going to remember for a while. And to me, it was was really symbolic of, of how strong this 49ers roster is. Yeah, I think uh, he had 29 carries heading into that game. So uh, he's absolutely got fresh legs at a at a time in the season where nobody else does. I mean, it was, I was a little surprised that they didn't put him in earlier. I mean, I thought that uh, they'd be more wary of McCaffrey. He's been dealing with a, a knee issue the last two weeks, short week, uh, this, that, and the other. McCaffrey looked fantastic. And uh, in hindsight, uh, I guess the 49ers thinking was that, okay, he's going to get the, the benefit of this long weekend. I think they've got nine days off. So, uh, you know, Brock Purdy is hurting. Let's get the guy that we have the most trust in back there. And, uh, wow, it it paid dividends. I mean, uh, we talk about uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey's gravity um, in in the sense that when he's on the field, the defenders just gravitate towards him. And uh, Kyle Shanahan knows that, and uh, Brock Purdy knows that, and it really worked to their advantage so many times in this game. Uh, before we talk about him and before we get off Ray Ray McLeod, just to give the, the listeners a, kind of a, a sense of who Ray Ray McLeod is. Um, he's about 190 pounds and um, you know one of the smallest guys on his team. And I went up to him in the locker room last week and I said, uh, looks like you're going to be the new Debo in this offense and he bristled he said to me no i'm the i'm the same old ray ray um which is to say that he's used to running the ball he made it clear that he was a running back all of his life grew up in florida that's a a huge point of pride in that state if you're a running back in in florida you know how to deliver blows and to take a hit and uh, i think he's actually got uh, a, a rivalry going with debo samuel their lockers are next to each other a friendly rivalry, sort of the the way that uh, uh, brothers are rivals. Uh, one guy played at Clemson. That's McLeod. The other guy played at South Carolina. Oh yeah, they definitely do. <laughs> Give yeah, that. that's uh, that's Debo. So uh, it uh, the the fact that I was uh, I was basically saying that you're sort of the uh, the understudy, the, the junior member of uh, <laughs> Debo Samuel did not sit well with Ray Ray McLeod. But my my point is that he's got a big chip on his shoulder and he saw that at the end of that run i mean um he he just leveled his shoulder i mean he took the brunt of it he went flying out of bounds but um he's not afraid and i think that's what kyle shanahan just loves about him they they, he loves that about him as a returner and uh loves it when he's got the ball in his hand so uh, i i think we're going to continue to see that um ray ray mcleod taking a lot of debo like snaps out of the slot um, you know, rotating out of the backfield, in the backfield, taking carries. Uh, he's, he's essentially Debo Samuel. He's just about 35 to 40 pounds lighter than Debo is. The way that he took on contact at the end of that, that play that I'm talking about, the catch and run, that, that really showed me something. I thought that that was, you know, he saw the first down marker, obviously had the speed to get there, had the wherewithal to take the right angle, but then his willingness to lower his shoulder and not do any funny business he just wanted to get that first down to me that that really really stood out and it, you know we, we talk about physicality in this game 
Here's a number that really encapsulates how physically superior the 49ers were to the Seahawks. 49ers generated 27 pressures. Seattle generated four. And that's a product of a lot of things. It's not just pass rush and 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 blocking. It's it's also run blocking, right? Because the 49ers are able to shield an injured quarterback in Brock Purdy with a really good run game. Purdy played really well, too, at the junctures he needed to throw, but he stayed out of the and long situations where pass rush can tee off. But w- when you have 27 pressures and the other team has four, that's just really indicative of a cohesive effort uh, which is centered and tethered around a, a whipping at the line of scrimmage. And so we talk about physicality, 49ers skill guys displayed that. Jawan Jennings made some huge catches. But Matt, uh, 49ers really, really executed up front uh, on both sides in, in, a, in a way that has me believing they're ready for, for some real January football. Yeah, and, and part of that was uh, due to a little bit of um... – uh, bad luck for the Seahawks. They didn't have Al Woods in this game, and then they lost another interior d- defensive lineman to a, an ACL early on. And, um, you know, that led to a lot of between-the-tackles running from the 49ers, and they were good at it. Aaron Banks, I thought, had a fantastic game. Jake Brendel uh, had a fantastic game. The uh, the, the duo of uh, Spencer Burford and uh, Daniel Brunskill looked good as well. So, I mean, a lot of uh, McCaffrey's yards were um, sort of right up the gut stuff. And, and certainly that big run by Jordan Mason was that was just brilliant blocking, um, starting with uh, starting with Banks and uh, Brendel in the middle. And uh, Trent Williams had a great block. Uh, Charlie Warner was in on that play, got a great block. And then it was up to Mason to beat the safety. And that's what Mason does. Um, you know, DBs, uh, you, you need more than one to bring him down. And uh, his yards after initial contact, I don't know what the update is right now. You, you might have it at your fingertips, David, but it was really, really high going into this game. And after that run, I mean, he, he gained, uh, you know, 45 yards after he beat that safety. It's probably even higher. So uh, good on him. I hope he gets more uh, carries in the future. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the depth is uh, is uh, extraordinary compared to last year. I mean, they had one guy in uniform, Ty Davis-Price, who didn't get on the field. And they had another in reserve in, in Tevin Coleman. So uh, they're in a good spot at that position heading into these final games. They're, they're thin at some other ones. Uh, cornerback was thin. Ambry Thomas aggravated a, an ankle injury during the game, and, and he didn't play. That meant that Janoris Jenkins had to come in, and he looked like a guy who hadn't, hadn't played all season, frankly. Uh, and so you got a little bit of vibes from the, the 2021 season when the 49ers were really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel um, at uh, at cornerback. So we'll have to monitor that. But I thought that they handled the, the depth issues at defensive tackle really well. Uh, Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa are head and shoulders above everybody else on that line. But it's been enough. Everybody else is just good enough to make the, that line special. Uh, but uh, Armstead, if he's not at uh, 100% now, he's really close. And um, he was doing Armstead things, which is basically caving in his side of the line whenever he's got a one-on-one opportunity. And that's uh, that. Uh, I think that goes a long way in explaining that uh, lopsided uh, ratio and quarterback pressures between the two teams on Thursday. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, Armstead, hands down, is one of the best players in football. And he, he's never going to get that that respect because he, he doesn't get the sacks himself. But uh, I would love to do a study, and I'm sure Chris Kosarek keeps track of it. How many sacks does Armstead generate? for guys around him and uh last year I, I i'm sure it was more than 10 uh you know 10 more sacks because of eric armstead just because that it's a complicated equation right a he's so good against the run and he uses that same strength to be that snowplow pass rushing as well so everything you know that eric armstead does helps the guys around him and I mean, Nick Bosa will come up and tell you he's one of the best players in football, and Nick Bosa is probably somebody whose opinion we should we should trust on this matter, right? Because Nick Bosa, I mean, he lives and breathes paths rushing. He lives and breathes football. He knows what he's talking about. I think Armstead, he'll probably be underrated forever just because his contributions are not going to pop off of a box score. But boy, they pop off of the game tape and they pop off of even just watching on TV. If you're watching from the standard broadcast angle, if you're just paying attention to that line of scrimmage, it's just different when he's when he's out there, right? So the 49ers have two absolutely premier players um, at both levels of the front seven. They have Bosa and Armstead along the defensive line. I think those are two elite of the elite premier players defensively. Greenlaw is now in that category on the... Second level at linebacker, obviously Fred Warner is as well. And 
you know, I, I think you can make the argument, Matt, that they've got two of those guys in the secondary. Uh, Tolano Ufanga and is is still rise is rising stock at the safety position. So maybe you wouldn't put him in the very elite yet, but he's obviously really good and 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 he's emerging. But I, the Ward squared, Charverius yeah. Ward and Jimmy Ward. I mean, those guys is there aren't many better corner nickel corner combos in the league. Jimmy Ward got mercilessly targeted by Tom Brady and gave up less than three yards per target. And yesterday, Tyler Lockett, one of the best slots in the game, had one catch for nine yards against Jimmy Ward, who told me that he still thinks the best nickel back in him is is coming, which makes sense because he just moved there. So, uh, you know, at all three levels, they've got a pair of stars. And you can't say that about any other defense in the league. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, Thursday was the last day for fan voting in the Pro Bowl. And if it was up to the fans, um, exactly one member of the 49ers defense, the, the best defense in the league, one that's, that's uh, looking more and more elite each week, would make the Pro Bowl. And that's uh, Nick Bosa. Um, it would mean that uh, Fred Warner and, and Dre Greenlaw didn't make it. It would mean that Charvarius Ward, Talanoa Hufanga didn't make it. Jimmy Ward didn't make it. Um, and... Um, Obviously, the, the coaches and the players also vote, and uh, each of those groups counts one-third towards the final. And I can only hope that they, they recognize the, uh, uh, the crime that it would be that uh, this, this top-rated defense, been top-rated for most of the season, only has one member making the, the Pro Bowl uh, festivities. I think that would be uh, criminal if, if, if that happened. Uh, so uh, I wanted to ask you, David, about the Bosa roughing the passer call, which wiped out a, uh, a pick six by Diamador Lenore. Bosa was very easygoing about it after the game, saying he thought it was a good call and it was on him to sort of roll off the quarterback and he'd been practicing that and uh, this, that, and the other. But I, I just didn't see a really uh, a choice for him on that play. It seemed like there was enough traffic in there as he's hitting, he's hitting Geno Smith as Smith is getting rid of the ball. And I just didn't think that there was any sort of room for him to sort of glance off that he was sort of funneled into that space just by the, uh, the crowdedness of that pocket. Um, you know, I, I, I can't stand that call, you know, no matter which teams are playing, it just, just kind of flies in the face of football in my mind. But uh, what did you see from the press box, and did any other uh, you know, defensive players comment on that after the game? Well, my take on it is it just is really hard to be a defensive player, especially a pass rusher in the modern game. And maybe we could zoom that out and say defensive player, because cornerbacks, too, these days, you know, that almost everything is pass interference. The game is just officiated egregiously in favor of the offense. So... Obviously, in the moment yesterday, 49ers fans were up in arms. They thought it was some kind of anti-49ers conspiracy. Officials just trying to keep the game close. But that was one of the byproducts. I think the officials did keep the game close, but I didn't think they were trying to to do that. I think they were just trying to officiate in the favor of the offense, which is something that the NFL has very obviously been trying to do. So you do run into a lot of situations where, Matt, you just mentioned – that I didn't think that Nick Bosa could do anything any differently. And that's true. He couldn't have done anything differently. And that's why it's so hard to be a defensive player these days. Because you're going to get flagged, 15-yard penalties, 
for playing the position by the book. You can't do anything differently. It's unrealistic to expect Nick Bosa to control his fall or whatever uh, in in any different manner than, than than he did in that game. And that's just you know part of the position these days. And it's really tough. And I think that. Nick Bosa might have the right attitude, actually, to, you know, he's probably calibrated his brain for it at this point. Might have been a little bit more upset earlier in his career, but if you just accept that that's part of, you know, it's an occupational hazard of pass rushing these days, that there are going to be some flags and just don't, you know, let them throw you off too much and keep on coming back with more, that's probably the best way to handle it. Because I'll tell you what, nobody really said it on the record, but I talked to a lot of guys off the record, I even talked to somebody who said that they were joking around a little bit uh, with one of the officials who, who came over saying, hey, you're just trying to keep this game close, weren't you? And now the official, of course, was like, nah, nah. <laughs> it was by the letter of the law, it was a foul. But 49ers thought the same thing that people at home are thinking about that call. And to that, you know, it. all I have to say is that that's just the way the game is officiated. I don't agree with it. You don't agree with it. Um, but... It, it did keep this game close, right? And the NFL favors the offense, and maybe the 49ers will benefit from a call like that. They did, right? They did against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was not the same kind of call, but uh, it, it was a roughing call in the first play of the game that got them going. So um, you get some, you win some, you lose some. 49ers lost that call yesterday, but they won the game. Uh, I have a Twitter follower named Tom Fresso who has a good line. He says, Bosa should have said, I'm trying harder to fight gravity. <laughs> fight so, the Christian McCaffrey gravitational pull. There you go. It yeah, was gravity was a, was, a big, was a big theme in this game. But um, it was uh, otherwise, or I shouldn't say otherwise, it was a fantastic uh, game from Nick Bosa. It usually is. It, he did his usual, I, I track his left side, right side uh, snaps and in this game, he bounced between left and right a lot more frequently. Usually he kind of starts on one side, then he feels more comfortable on uh, on one versus the other, and then sp- spends most of the game there. Um, he, uh, he moved around a lot more in this game, and I thought that he was more effective from the right side that, that had him going against uh, Cross, the, the left tackle. Um, that's when he got that, that roughing call. He got the sack going, uh, from the right. He got a, uh, a tip pass on Geno Smith when he was rushing from the right side. So, um, that's where he seemed to be most comfortable on Thursday. Uh, some games it's, uh, it's from the left. So, uh, I think that's really kind of, uh, something that he's, um, he's gotten good at in the last two years is uh, switching things up. So uh, really offenses don't know what's coming uh, from a game plan perspective. Uh, I still think that Samson Ebucom is, is, is dealing with something. It seems like he's been kind of fighting this injury or that injury for most of the season. So you're not really getting that steady edge presence from the other side of the line that, uh, that would be ideal. Um, if he can somehow heal up over these last few weeks, maybe this uh, this nine day layoff will benefit that. Then I think ooh, you could you could kick this uh, this defense into even slightly higher gear as they head into the playoffs. Yeah, and speaking of that, the 49ers have they, they clinched before anybody else in the NFL. Nobody else has clinched their division, so 
They've clinched first. They have three weeks now to try to improve their seeding. They're going to need some help from players, uh, from teams playing against the Vikings because Minnesota is still one game up on the 49ers. But to me, the 49ers need to be uh, just full, full throttle ahead in the rest of the regular season because the seeding is extremely important, in my opinion. They are, I think, at worst now the number three seed, right? But... Um, they, if they can get to the number two, the way that the playoffs are set up now, only the number one gets the bye, but number two gets a second home game if you win your first home game. And we look at this team, rookie QB, overpowering defense, you want to stay at home because the defense will get the benefit of crowd noise. The rookie won't have to deal with it. And we'll talk about Brock Purdy in a second, right? But I don't think that he had any trouble with the crowd noise in Seattle. But I think that any team in its right mind would play hard to try to stay at home. But this 49ers team especially, it's just really hard for me to see this defense getting beat at home. And plus, then you don't have to think about traveling to Philadelphia until the conference title game. And that leaves Philadelphia a chance to get upset in the divisional playoffs. So from here on out, you have Washington on Christmas Eve, you have the Raiders on New Year's Day, and then you have Arizona on January 8th. If the 49ers can win three games and Minnesota loses one of its last four, uh, to me, that, that clears the path all, probably to the Super Bowl for the 49ers. I mean, it, I'm not saying that they, they would take advantage of that clear path, but it would be a very, I mean, we, we would be able to chart out exactly what they had to do, and it would be very realistic, right, for them to get through the NFC if they're able to get that number two seed. If it's the three, you start talking about a road game, you know, in the divisional round, it gets a little bit hairier, right? So the next three games for me are, for the 49ers, are about clearing the path moving forward. Yeah, and um, let's see, the the Vikings, uh, they've got two Saturday games in a row. They play at home versus the Colts coming up. Uh, they've got the Giants at home on Christmas Eve. Then they go on the road at Green Bay on, uh, on New Year's Day, January 1, and then they finish the season on the road where the 49ers began their season in Chicago. So, uh, you know, some of those uh, the the Giants and the and the Packers in particular could could give them a nice run. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. And it, and it would be poetic if the 49ers did get a couple of home games because uh, last year they had to go the the hard route, which is uh, you know three straight road games to uh, end the season. They had an extra road game during the season. It was in Cincinnati, not not exactly next door. So um, you know this this would be a much easier season from a travel perspective. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think the 49ers would agree with you that that's uh, that's the easier route. I remember I forget whether it was 11 or 12, but the 49ers uh, won their their final game and then they went into that that candlestick locker room and they were watching. Uh, a game on on TV in their cramped little um, locker room, and they needed one team to win in a, in a in a in an upset in order to get home field advantage, and that team pulled it through. And the celebration inside that locker room, it was as if they won the Super Bowl. That's how important getting that uh, additional home game or a bye week is for those teams. At that point, they see it as a real advantage, and. Uh, uh, that, that would be no different this year. Yeah, would be huge for the 49ers. Let's talk Purdy, Brock Purdy, because uh, this was 
the, the more we learned about this in the postgame, the more remarkable it became. Supposedly, he didn't uh, take a throw a single pass in between Sunday and Thursday. Threw a couple in the hotel ballroom during walkthrough, but Shanahan said that oblique and rib injury was was painful. And as we know from what Jimmy Garoppolo did for this team over several years, uh, one way to really endear yourself to your teammates is to to play through injury and play well through injury. And Brock Purdy did that yesterday. He completed his first 11 passes. That really set a tone. You know, he's just really good with his eyes. Remember Adam Peters after the draft said, you know, this guy just knows how to play the position really well. I mean, Purdy was was playing the position really well. And, and it worked re- really well in, in tandem with the McCaffrey-centric game plan, right, that was setting up play fakes. They needed somebody who was manipulating the defense with his eyes. So, so Purdy won that game with his brain. And then added a little bit of physical toughness, or I guess if we should say a lot of physical toughness based on what Shanahan was saying in the locker room. And, uh, you know, to me, all of these things are remarkable. A, a rookie is is winning a game with his mind and he's executing what Shanahan wants as far as the mistake-free game surrounded, uh, uh, centered around the play-action concepts. And B, uh, he's doing so playing through physical pain that is galvanizing the 49ers locker room. And remember, the 49ers just won a division title with their third quarterback of the season, their third starter. If that's not symbolic of this team's waves of depth, I don't know what is. And the fact that Purdy just keeps on answering the challenges week in and week out, it's three weeks in a row now that he's done that, has to give the 49ers more and more buoyancy, more and more optimism, hope, more and more confidence as they now shift to focusing on attaining the greatest playoff positioning possible. Yeah, I mean, we talked uh, last week just about the the veteran way that Shanahan treated Purdy in that Tampa Bay game, and that was uh, that was happening in Seattle too. I mean, there was that 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 sequence uh, in the loudest part of that uh, Seattle stadium. Uh, the the 49ers have the ball on the one yard line down there. And I thought for sure, I was certain that the first play of that series was going to be either a purdy sneak or uh, a little fullback dive to, you know, gaining 20 inches right there would have been uh, a masterpiece on first down. But no, Shanahan uh, <laughs> called a, a play call, uh, a, a pass call, um, and it would have gained, uh, you know, six or seven yards to Juwan Jennings. Uh, and uh, the Seahawks got lucky by batting down that pass or tipping the pass. But it just uh, underscored the trust, the decision-making that uh, that Shanahan has in, in Brock Purdy. And then uh, two plays later, I thought this was Purdy's best throw of the game. I mean, the, 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 the touchdown passes were great, but they were – they were easy throws. I mean, uh, those guys were, or that guy, George Kittle, was wide open on both of them. In fact, I think Shannon, I don't know, you were there. Uh, he said that uh, to one of the reporters, that you could have made that throw. It was so easy. Uh, but the one on third down to Juwan Jennings was, you know, a, a typical Juwan Jennings third down throw. It was a dart in traffic. Um, again, uh, the loudest part of the stadium, a critical point of the game, and it was uh, on target, and they got a first down. It wasn't a great drive, uh, but they they got they killed some clock, and they got out of the shadow of the end zone. And that's where, you know, that's the Seahawks' domain. That's their bread and butter. 
that's that's where they rattle teams and cause turnovers and grab momentum. And Purdy was so calm and collected that he did not let that happen. So I thought that as sort of disjointed as that drive was, and it wasn't all that uh, successful, uh, it really sort of typified who this guy was and why he's so valuable for this team. Yeah. They've got a lot of nails, guys, like that, right? I mean, we've, we've already talked We talked about Jennings here. Where we talked about Ray Ray McLeod picking up that first down a little bit earlier. Talk about the closer, Jordan Mason. I mean, on defense, you could translate it to the defensive side, too. Dre Greenlaw, the way that he's forcing takeaways now. I mean, it, it, I'm just zooming out, just looking at, at how this team is, is playing, and, and, you know, we could – we could reignite the 2019 defense versus the 2022 defense debate now. You know, statistically, I think it's still inconclusive which unit was better, especially since 2019 got off to such a hot start. But I think that's the operative difference, right, Matt? 2019 was leaking oil heading into Seattle at the end of the season, and they had to be really saved by that amazing Dre Greenlaw stop at the goal line. And this 2022 defense is picking up steam, playing its best football in December. They're, they're, they're peaking at the right time. The 49ers as a team appear that they could be peaking at the right time. Again, since that Kansas City loss, they've been the number one team in football when you look at any any overall efficiency metrics. So um, the, the, it's a team with a whole lot of grit because they're accomplishing all this despite the fact that they've lost players on their third quarterback. I mean, you can name the adversity that's, that's uh, stricken this team, and, and there's been a lot of it. So um, boy, that, that, it's a well-earned break, isn't it? They have a few days off here over the weekend. They got to play on Thursday night. They get to sit back, watch the rest of the league, and then get back to work on Tuesday because it's going to be a Saturday game against Washington. And that stretch run, I mean, it's already begun, but now uh, it is a hard charge to the finish line as they try to set themselves up for uh, some quality January football. Yeah, and I think that uh, that they set themselves up really nicely. And Back to your original point about complimentary football, um, you know, this is uh, – I might be straining when I say this, but sometimes when you lose a key figure on your team, uh, you know, whether it's uh, your, your point guard on the basketball team or your, um, you know, your best hitter on a baseball team or your, your starting quarterback, it, uh, it, it makes everybody else on the team realize that, hey, I've got to step up my game. A little bit more, and uh, when you've got a talented roster like the 49ers, I think that the aggregate of that is is meaningful. So it, it means that Brock Purdy just has to sort of manage the game and hit his layups, and he hit all of his layups uh, on Thursday. But uh, it, it also means that everybody else is uh, is slightly sharper, I think, and um, that that can be a uh, a fantastic thing, especially. When top to bottom, you have probably the, the most talented roster in the NFL. Certainly the NFC. Um, I bet uh, the Bills uh, w- would say otherwise. Uh, and then uh, obviously the, the Eagles and, and the Cowboys, I think, are probably the other two really good teams, um, peaking at the right time teams that the 49ers are going to have to contend with in the playoffs. And we can start talking about this now, David. The 49ers are in the playoffs, the first team in the playoffs. So we can start looking ahead to what some of those matchups might be. Yeah. We could start looking at the seedings here over the course of these weeks. I actually haven't done that quite yet, but I obviously it is possible with Dallas 
being second place in the NFC East right now, it is possible that Dallas would come to Levi's Stadium at some point, especially if the 49ers get the number two, right? Uh, it, it could We could see... I don't know what what seed exactly Dallas would be, but they'd be it'd be possible at some point. I would think over those first two games, you could have a real showdown, which is why you want to make sure you get as many of these games at home. It looks like Philadelphia is going to be that number one seed. I mean, it would take a collapse from Philadelphia for for the 49ers to catch them at this point. But uh, yeah, it gets fun when you could start looking at potential matchups and. You know, I'm, right now I'm looking at the team tier chart, which charts the offense and the defensive efficiency. And after yesterday's performance, 49ers since week eight, that they're almost in a tier of their own, which would mean the Dallas and Philadelphia who were playing almost just as well as them over the several of these weeks. 49ers have now kept it so consistently solid that uh, their their efficiency is almost in a tier of its own in the NFL, which. Might remind people of the 1994 49ers after they got just drubbed by Philadelphia. They went on a tear that put them head and shoulders above the rest of the league. The 49ers, over, at least over these seven games, since being beaten down by Kansas City at home, they're starting to do a little bit of that. So we'll see if the 49ers can keep it up moving forward. But boy, was that a, a statement win in Seattle. They overcame... Uh, they left some meat on the bone, we'll put it that way. And they've been leaving meat on the bone and still on a tear over the past seven weeks, which I think is the best way to encapsulate it. 49ers are NFC West champions. They're 10-4. and four. They're moving forward into the final three games of the regular season with a chance to clear their path to the Super Bowl. That's the next goal for them, to make the playoffs as high of a probability of a bet as possible. So we'll see if they can do that. We're going to take a couple days off here, and we'll be back next week as the 49ers prepare to take on Washington at Levi Stadium. We'll talk to you all soon. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. Talk to us next time on Here's the Catch.